This morning I invite you to come with me to a little letter of 2 Peter. Once again, the first chapter. 2 Peter chapter 1. The focus today will be on verses 12 through 15. But once again, I think it helpful that we actually go back and start reading at the third verse. So if you would, 2 Peter chapter 1, begin reading at verse 3. As Peter writes to persecuted believers who are also now having false teachers come among them and cause confusion and difficulty, here are his words. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I always intend, or I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, or literally as long as I'm in this tabernacle or tent, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. And now, Father, we ask by your Spirit, you attend now the preaching of your word, that it be useful in your sight, that you make it powerful, more than the mere words of man, but may it be truly so much connected to this text that it is the very word of God. May we be changed by it. For this we ask in Christ's name. Some years ago, a fellow was plugging his book entitled, Your Perfect Memory. Obviously, he and I had never met. Otherwise, he'd realize his title was misleading. There are armloads of books 
on memory. I'd read them if I could just remember the titles or the authors. We marvel at it. We fret over it. We, we make lists. I fairly regularly bring my lunch with me to church when I'm keeping office hours. But in the process of getting ready, there have been some mornings I've remembered my lunch after having arrived. So, I sometimes take my fancy lunchbox, also known as a plastic Walmart bag, and I put it on the table by the other things, books and my iPad, that I know I'll be taking with me to the office as a reminder to actually go to the refrigerator and retrieve some food, lest I forget. Human beings are by the very nature, it seems, forgetful creatures. We're not very good at remembering things. We all have a memory, it just doesn't serve us the way that we'd sometimes like. I used to keep things in my head, appointments and such. And then the load of information began to quite obviously be more than the gray matter could effectively carry. So I got a pocket planner. Some of you may remember daytimers. So I got the senior pocket planner. And it served me well until the schedule got bigger. And so I went up to the next size. And then whenever we were in the midst of our relocation to this spot, I got the biggest one they make. I think the next step up required a Briggs and Stratton engine to bring it along with you. Now I have digital memory, or I would have no memory at all. Peter understood about our capacity in memory. He knew how prone we are to be forgetful. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said it this way, this forgetfulness is a manifestation of sin. This is what sin has done to the human race. This is how it perverts. That is the accursed element in sin. And that is where sin is so hateful and so annoying. It stands between us and that which is best and highest. And nowhere does it show itself more than in this particular matter of memory. Now, we don't have to work at this too hard to realize the struggle we have with this, right? You ask your spouse, would you remember to do X? Pick this up on your way home. Spouse arrives, sands the item. Uh, did you? Oh, I forgot. You tell your children. For umpteenth time, do this. Did you do that? Do what? You're going to make me say it, aren't you? 
forgetfulness. And you see, folks, when you apply this to the matter of the Christian life, here's where the crisis comes, I believe. We hunger, when it comes to the matter of Christian living and and preaching and teaching and all of those things, we hunger for novelties rather than certainties. We, We like new things, something bright and shiny, Something displayed in such a way that we go, oh, yeah, that's cool. I like that. And it's not what we need. It actually, rather than helping, is hurtful. You see, Peter's trying to show us something here. Reminders keep us in the spiritual battle. Reminders aid us because we are, by nature, forgetful. Reminders are not telling us something we don't know. Reminders are helping us remember what we already know. Now, I'm not for a moment discounting the place for new knowledge in the Christian life. There are those moments when we find ourselves being taught something that we didn't know before. And that's healthy and good as long as it's accurate and right and very much anchored in the text of Scripture. And especially if it's a matter or not of somebody standing up, well, I have something here that you have never, ever seen. Nobody before me ever saw this. Let me give you a little hint. When a fellow says that, let me translate that for you. I found an old heresy and repackaged it as something new. When the problem is you and I have gaps in understanding... Yes, it's a good thing to learn. It's a good thing to gain information, to grow in knowledge. But at a certain point, it could be that what we have is not so much something new, something that never occurred to us, something that nobody ever taught us, especially if you've been a Christian a long time. Rather, it's more like, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that. I hadn't really used it, but there it is. So two things I want you to consider today. First thing, and I've been talking about that a little bit as we enter into it, spiritual reminders assume knowledge. Spiritual reminders assume there are some things you already know. Secondly, spiritual reminders are an admission of mortality. Now let's look at this a moment. First consider this, spiritual reminders assume Knowledge. Now, Peter is very tactful. He's more encouraging than he is scolding here. All of our nagging and prodding and pushing often doesn't work well with one another. An old minister one time penned a couple of lines, and he said it this way, I was beating my brother righteously when he turned on me viciously. We we don't like it when people are hammering us. 
Peter assumes these believers know these things but need to be reminded of them. This is very much like what Paul will say in 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Romans 15 verses 14 and 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. He writes to Timothy first, remind you, stir up, fan into flame the gift of God. He writes to the Romans, nothing new here, but I'm writing boldly to remind you. He'll say it in Titus 3.8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Help people understand how to devote themselves. So what is really the crux of our mutual failure here? And it is a mutual failure. We all battle this. It's not that we don't really know these things. It's rather we don't remember to remember or apply them. We think that being aware of something is the same thing as doing it, as applying it. And awareness is not the same thing as duty. Awareness is not the same thing as action. You see, we need to be reminded of some things. Um, We need to be reminded of the truth about life. We are not cosmic accidents. Man is more than a hairless ape. Humans are not cosmic accidents. In, In our time, We've come to see that even some decades ago, the answer was, well, we have scientific answers for all of the questions. Give up your religious superstitions and embrace the science. And now, our culture overwhelmingly even rejects the science. It is now how I feel is the definition of who and what I am. We view ourselves as malleable, and thus we can reject what's obvious. Our perceptions and our passions are ultimate. We'll be whoever and whatever we feel we are to be. And everybody better submit to my self-perception, you wretched bunch of haters. We are made by God. There is a creator. We need to be reminded of the purpose of life. You're to live your life before God and know that ultimately you will answer to God. We don't keep this in view. Whether or not I am vilified or praised in this life really doesn't matter that much. For one day I must answer to God. And everyone will stand before the judgment seat and give an account for every idle word, for everything within us. Our motives, our thoughts, our intents. 
We need to be reminded of the greatness of Christ. You can too easily think yourself sufficient when you're so desperately in need of a Savior at all times. Dr. Lloyd-Jones again, the ultimate thing of which the Bible always reminds us and which it always urges us to keep in remembrance is the greatest and most vital thing in the world is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't live on memories, you can't live on hopes, but on the Lord Jesus you can live always. And I, this is what I want to make sure you understand. This is not about nostalgia. When I talk about reminders, it's not the reminder of, oh, let's remember back when. Weren't things so much better back then? You understand, I've used this before, nostalgia is like the smell of baking bread. It gives you an appetite. It doesn't give you any satisfaction. It can make you feel warm and comfy, but it does nothing to actually change your circumstances. No, this is not about that. I, I, I always am fearful, truthfully, as I have reached my mature years, shall we say. I've, I've watched too many preachers in my lifetime become reminiscers. Well, I remember when we did this and this and so and so was here and wasn't that all just wonderful? The proper authorities in my life have been instructed. If Doug becomes a reminiscer, it's time for Doug to retire. We are not talking about nostalgia we are talking about being reminded of the truth among those things besides the truth about life the purpose of life the greatness of christ the nature of grace you are never too far gone no one is too far for the grace of god to reach them now why hammer away at that why encourage well our problem is we think we've got it. And, and, and the best way I know to illustrate this is, have you ever, did you ever sit in a class or maybe in a meeting at work and you're supposed to be paying attention and maybe taking some notes and the professor or your manager or somebody says, now this is important, remember this. And you go, yeah, that's right. Don't need to write that down. I got it. I remember. Who could forget that? And then the test comes. And there's a question on that very thing. And you have mistaken awareness for knowledge. I'm aware that that's the, oh yeah, I know. We talked, what, what, what was that? I know I can't have forgotten that. Or at work. You know, it's one thing to flunk a class. It's another thing to get fired. Right? You're in the meeting on the project, and they look at you and say, now, about this, did you, oh, uh, what? Oh, I do remember that, sort of. Can you refresh me? Awareness is not the same thing as knowledge. Um, awareness is not practice. 
You may be aware that you ought to cook chicken to a certain temperature. But if you don't cook it to that temperature, chicken sushi is not a good situation. You may be aware that your brakes aren't working well. But if you don't do something about that, that can be your death. Now, why keep talking about this? My friends, we so struggle to remember things. And sometimes I think we treat with a certain amount of contempt when teaching and preaching Give us reminders. We act like we're beyond that. J. Gresham Machen said it, said it this way, indifference to doctrine makes no heroes of the faith. You and I need to know what the content of the truth is, and we need to understand how to apply the truth. We've got to remind ourselves how to live. You see, false teachers almost never show up at the church door and announce, Hello, Orthodox Christians. I'm here to pervert God's revelation a little bit at a time until I succeed in convincing you to believe Satan's lies. That's not how this works, right? They don't even recognize themselves as being false teachers. They're just here to help. More than mere awareness. Being able to lay hold of those things. To grasp them. Mere awareness never saved. Mere awareness never strengthened. Mere awareness never made you more holy. Yes, spiritual reminders assume knowledge. Never treat with contempt the effort to help you remember. Second, spiritual reminders not only assume you know the truth, they also admit to mortality. After Peter says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, he goes on to say in the next three verses, I think it's right as long as I'm in the body or in this tent to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I'll make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. You see, folks, the truth endures when we don't. Simon Peter recognizes he is near death. Now, he's already been prepared for this, right? The Lord Jesus, John 21 says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John gives us this little parenthetical explanation. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after that, he said to him, follow me. Now my friend, if the tradition regarding Peter is correct, his martyrdom was that he was crucified, but thinking himself unworthy to be crucified in the same way as his master, he asked specifically to be crucified upside down. I don't know if that's true or not. 
But his martyrdom is really not a question here. He remembered the day when he was told, you'll stretch out your hands. Somebody else will take you and they'll do with you. Not your will. We don't know if there had been a further revelation at this point, more specifically. But Peter understood that an immortal soul dwells in a mortal tent. Now, I've always been fascinated by this in the text of the New Testament. And whether it's Peter or whether it's Paul, they oftentimes refer to our bodily existence as tents. Life, in the great scheme of things, is a little bit like camping out. This life is not the only life I have before me, and this life, because of the fall, is not meant to be permanent. Now, I've, I've laughed about this with you. I've joked with you about it. I, I find camping, actual camping, brilliant in theory and glorious especially when you see it in outdoor magazines. Right? Every picture I ever saw in outdoor life of somebody camping, there's a lovely, clear, bubbling stream. The grass somehow miraculously has been mowed to a universal height of three inches. The fire is surrounded by pristine white rock. And it is just glowing. And the fellow kneeling there by the fire has a smile on his face. In his lovely khakis and flannel shirt. As he's Flipping over a beautiful trout in an apparently non-stick cast iron pan. <laughs> and the temperature appears to be somewhere around 70 degrees. Not an insect in sight. May I submit to you Never once in my entire history of camping did it look anything like that. I think we were sold a bill of goods. Now some of you like it anyway. And Jesus says, I have to love you and pray for you. <laughs> we dwell in a tent. Now here's what I'll tell you folks. It don't feel much like a tent when you're young. But the longer you live and the more that happens to you, the more you begin to recognize this thing was not meant for a long-term occupation. And Peter looks at this and thinks about it in terms of folding his tent. He knows that day is coming. And it's not to say that these aren't hard things. 
John Piper's mother was killed in a bus accident some years ago, and his father, Bill, wrote this little bit of poetry in light of that, titled it A Short Poem of Mother in Praise of Memory. Though now the pain has long since ceased, the mysteries remain. How one so full of life and joy could suddenly be slain. How easily the heart cries, why? Why, Lord, why not me? The purpose of his sovereign will is difficult to see. Yet in the shadow of his wings, one feels the love and care that mend the wounded broken heart and shatters grim despair. My friends, the truth endures when you and I don't. So let us, as much as lies within us, commend to others and live for others and declare to others quite clearly the truth. Have you made peace with your own mortality, Christian? Are you all right with the old idea from some of our brethren of the past? Live for Christ, labor for Christ, do all you can, die and be forgotten. Now I remind you, forgotten here for the most part, never forgotten by the Lord, right? See, the truth endures after I die, and the church endures after I die. Peter says, I'll make every effort. I'll put myself out. You see, I cannot help but think that Peter, as he comes to the end of his race, remembers the challenging exchange with Jesus before the words we read earlier where he says there'll come a time that someone else will dress you, someone else will stretch out your hands. Remember what Jesus says to him when they'd finished breakfast, John 21. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Do you hear the imperative in all three of the questions? There's the question, Peter's answer, and then an imperative. The imperative is virtually identical in all three stations. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I cannot help but think, as Simon Peter writes this last letter, as he looks to the end of his life, that he is going to do what his master commanded him to do. I'm going to feed and tend the flock. First, Peter, he says, I'm an under-shepherd like the rest of the elders, all under-shepherds. When the chief shepherd appears, we get our crown. 
But while I'm here as an under-shepherd, I will pour myself out. He fulfills his ministry. He cares for the lamb, the sheep, those whom he is to be under-shepherd for. Not merely the spoken word of an apostle, but the written word of God's revelation continually remind people of this truth. And here's where I would begin to draw this to a close, my brothers and sisters. Do you ever ask yourself this question? What shall I leave the church? What shall I leave my family? What shall I leave those who know me? Will the church, will my family, will my friends, will my brothers and sisters in some manner be better off for my having been part of their lives? Christian parents, you're aware of the importance of gathered worship and fellowship, but if you're only aware and not practicing, do you understand you are harming your children? When you treat the gathering of the saints with indifference, you train your children to that. When making a sporting event is always done. But the gathering of the saints is option. Danger. Christian spouses, you know you're supposed to live for your spouse. You're supposed to give of yourself. You're supposed to engage with them. You're supposed to love them. Is that more than merely awareness? Is it action? Oh, Christians, is there more than mere awareness in your doctrine and your living? Not nostalgia, not living in the past, but knowing and applying and living what you know is true. Saints, older saints, folks of my generation and beyond. Are you still engaged with the people of God and the work of the Lord, even if you can't do as much as you used to? One of the horror griefs that I see as a pastor is I see Christians reach a certain age and say, okay, I'm done. Time for somebody else. Where did that come from? It didn't come from the Lord. And I'm not saying there can't be a diminishing according to age and ability, but I've seen folks that absolutely just quit everything. And when you talk to them about it, well, I did it for so long, it's time for somebody else. You do understand the Lord's not going to compare you to somebody else. You do understand the Lord is not going to grade this on a curve comparing your labor to somebody else's labor. Please, don't walk out of here saying, well, pastor said we can never 
kind of step back a little bit and retire? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is be careful that you don't sideline yourself to such an extent you can no longer be useful. Be reminded. See, brothers and sisters, the day may come when we can't do some things. You know, when I hear people kind of grumble and grouse, oh, I'm going to go to church. Yeah, I'm here. I'm worn out, but I'm here. Well, in that sweet bless you. And I know other brothers and sisters that are at home this morning, and it would make them weep if you talked with them about it. Because it breaks their heart. They can't be here. I know you say, oh, preacher, you found a way to twist this around and just come to church. No twisting was needed. And it's more than showing up. But my friends, if these truths are more to us than a mere awareness, if they're actually conviction and truths which own us, and we love Him, for He has loved us, how dare we live any differently? And how dare we act like it doesn't matter? I say to you again, what is your legacy going to be? What shall those around you who know you remember when you're gone? Your service? Your love for Christ? Your dedication? Maybe when it got to the point you couldn't show up anymore, you made a point of finding out how people needed to be prayed for. And you, you turned into a prayer warrior in a sense. You just you prayed for people. You'd call and check on people. You loved them. You cared for them. You showed grace and kindness to those who come to care for you. Oh, my dear family how are you going to live I pray for my own self what Peter says here as long as I am in the body to stir you up by way of reminder for one day we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How shall we?